This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, One Bills Live is your program of choice. Thank you for joining us. And uh, plenty of NFL news and notes, which we will get to in due course over the course of this program. And uh, I, I don't know about you, Steve, but I've, I've roped Steve into the World Cup fever. And we just watched a tremendous upset just before coming on the air. Morocco defeats Spain on penalty kicks by a score of 3 nothing. Spain absolutely pukes all over their cleats in the PK round as they hit one off the post and shoot two other horrible penalty kicks, both saved by the Moroccan keeper. And Morocco is through to the quarterfinals, and Spain is out. Great unbelievable. Game. It was an unbelievable game. I and it, you know, so here's the thing, and here's the problem I think most American I know where you're citizens. Going. It's a zero zero game. <clears throat> after a hundred and twenty minutes. hundred and twenty minutes. So it's a it's a giant two hour game of keep away. And that's hard to watch. Although um, I am appreciating it more now when you kind of engage with it and you see the, you know, you start to see the really good players and the nuance and how one bad, a bad team or the lesser of the two teams can hang in there, mm-hmm. get the lucky, lucky bounce. Um, it's been fun. The World Cup's been fun for me. I'll admit it. For the first time, maybe in my lifetime. And I'll just say I appreciate your open mindedness because you are well, not. Well, you like, have to open it up. You have you, to open your mind because yeah, you are not. You are not in the majority of those soccer skeptics out it there. It is not a sport that lends itself to the the American mentality. That is true. That's its problem, um, because to watch it, you got to be in, you got to invest, and it, you can't just let it wash over you like you know the NFL and NBA and you know all these and the sports that are thriving here, even mm-hmm. even the NHL when you're there live. Um, so. But I have enjoyed it. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, too. Like most people, the U.S. getting into the knockout stage helped me, helped get me invested in it. Yep. So now I've got some. Now some you're background. just, now you're rooting for but the Cinderella. I'll say this, though. I'll say this, though. <clears throat> and I, this, nothing against the sport as a large, but I am, have no ongoing interest from this point on. I'm not going <laughs> to, like, I'm not going to start watching D.C. United or, Oh yeah, you mean after the tournament's yeah. over? I am. Yeah. I am not invested in any American team I, or I, any yeah, okay. like Man U. That's fine. Hotspur, none of that stuff. I'm not. I'm. Yeah, that's okay. That, I, I'll take what I can what get. What can I say? I'll take but what the I World can get. World Cup, they got me. I'm in. I'm in for life now for yeah. the next however many World Cups I have left. Well, in four years, it'll be on home soil. So, it'll yeah, be here. that's going to be a big well. Boost. It'll be here, Mexico, and Canada. And I'll say this. Um, it's interesting to think about because you got like, you know, probably 14, 15 year old kids now thinking, you know, I got a shot at the men's national team at the next World Cup here at home. You know what I mean? There's right. a generation coming up that's going to say, yeah. I'm going to do that because I'm not big enough to play in the NFL. Mom and dad won't let me play tackle football. Baseball is not, it's too boring or whatever. It's the wrong sport for me. <laughs> Hockey, I don't even have an ice rink in my state. You know, whatever. Yeah. Soccer, I can do because I got there's sports right here in my town, right? So I can do it. So that's yeah. you got to think there's a generation of kids that are going to be inspired by this. Say, I'm going to give it a shot, and one or two are trickle through. Yeah, it's a very low percentage, yeah. but yes, it can happen. 
Uh, congratulations are in order to one Dion Dawkins, selected as the Bills nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Each of the league's 32 NFL teams has a nominee for the league's Walter Payton Man of the Year. So he is the Bills nominee. And I think for those that know Dion, know he is very active in the Buffalo community. Um, I think it was even more visible after the tragic shooting in East Buffalo back in May uh, that cost us 10 of our fellow citizens uh, in a clear act of hatred. Um, but Dion's been doing this pretty much since he landed in Buffalo after being a second-round draft choice back in 2017. Uh, just done enormous amount of stuff here in the local community. So a very, a very deserved nomination for Dion Dawkins. So good luck to him as he now goes up against 31 other nominees from the 31 other teams in the league. And that award is handed out during the NFL Honors Program, which is the week of the Super Bowl. So good luck to him. We'll see if he wins it. Yeah. Because you, I mean, Really, it's a prestigious when you, honor. It's no very question. prestigious. Very prestigious. Um, prestigious. Yeah, but it's amazing. Like you, you look at the Bills nominee, and you're like, "Wow, Dion's done a ton of stuff." Then you look at some of these other guys around the league, you're like, "Holy cow!" Like it's some of the efforts of some of these players off the field are really, if they're not inspiring, they're certainly breathtaking because these guys don't have a lot of time during the season. I mean, they are fully invested in their profession, you know, putting in 10, 12-hour days, six, seven days a week. So to make time on their off day for some of the things they do out there in the community, you really got to tip your hat to them. So congrats again to Dion. We have the Odell Beckham Jr. saga. Thankfully, it wraps up today. You know, he spent – a day and a half to two days with the Giants, day and a half to two days with the Bills. He's wrapping up his visit with the Cowboys today. And then OBJ is supposed to make his decision by midweek. Some interesting things are trickling out of Dallas. Now, you know, the media coverage down there was a little nuts. Uh, he went to the Mavericks game last night and with some – Dallas Cowboys players and the me a gaggle of media reporters is following him, you know, trying to hope he says something that they can run with. Uh, and then Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys, went on the radio today. And, and let's just say, Steve, threw a bucket of water on it. He, he threw a bucket of cold water on the likelihood of Dallas coming to terms with him. And it seems as though there are a couple of things at play here. One, long-term investment, because it sounds to me, at least in the case of the Cowboys, that they're not 100% certain they want to make a long-term investment. I think they would be very interested if they could get OBJ as a rental for the rest of this year. And I think the well, Bills and the Giants would – wouldn't mind that either, but I the, think from the word go, it's been stated that Beckham is looking for more than that. He wants right. to 
put down roots for the rest of his career. The problem is he's nine months out of an ACL. Mm-hmm. Second one on that knee. Happened mid-February. And apparently he's hesitant or reluctant or unwilling to give these guys a workout. Um, unless they see him in action on the field looking like a wide receiver, why would they want him for the next five weeks? Yeah. If he's not going to come in and do it now, I mean, particularly in the Cowboys, and that's what um, Jerry Jones said, listen, this year's paramount. If you can't play this year, we're not interested. Particularly, you know. So, and <clears throat> it, same thing with the Bills, right? Maybe not so much with the Bills, but if you're not going to come, if you're going to come to Buffalo and you're not going to play this year, we ain't got time to mess with that. Now we got right. we'll wait until June, wait till like, or to free agency where the cap eases up and we get all these guys off our books. Where we got some cap space and we'll talk to you. And you, but I say we'll talk to you. After we watch you work out. Well, yeah. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? Right. And no, and I, no GM in his right mind is signing Odell Beckham Jr. with two ACLs on the same knee in the span of 24 months. Right. Without watching him run routes. You're just not doing it. Right. I mean, you'd be out of your mind. It's, right. it's, it's a risk that is it's – a, it's an egregious risk. Is how I would describe it, because yeah, there's just you get him. Yeah, he and and he's crazy to do it. He would. I don't think he'll sign with anybody for veteran minimum to come back and play it nine months after an ACL. No, he'll just no. wait till free agency. And I think too, there's a little bit of this. I hadn't thought about this, but there's a little bit of this. Odell likes the red carpet treatment. Oh, absolutely. And well, who wouldn't? I mean, everybody would. Of these teams, you know putting their best foot forward. I mean, last night he was in Dallas going out there with some of their players and all, you know, it's great. I mean, it's fun to be there, fun to be in the middle of that. But for the seriousness of the contract he's asking for, you don't want to see him at a Mavericks game. Yeah. You want to see him in shorts and cleats on your field with Dak throwing to him, see if he's ready, see if he can do it. And he's not doing that. Right. So, and, and let's let just say this. If he does that in Dallas, he's not going to do it here in Buffalo. Right? He's not going to come out in Buffalo and yeah, say, no yeah, I'll, I'll work out for you guys. I ain't working out for Dallas. No, he's not going to no. do it for Buffalo either. So, that I'm, I'm with Jerry on this one. You know, Hard to blame him. No workout, no contract. Yep. Uh, so, um, he may not land anywhere. He may not. And, and I, that's fine, but he'll be playing football somewhere next year. Yes, I would agree. But with I that. think this is, it's really fast after the ACL to come back and say, I'm ready to go and have somebody pay you the kind of money you're asking for without seeing you test it. Um, that's crazy talk. It becomes very unlikely. And, yeah. I, and I would agree with everybody who, you know, with Jerry Jones and, and probably Brandon Bean and the rest. Yeah. So it'll be pretty compelling to see and where this goes from here, especially if all three clubs, absent a workout, say, we're not saying no, we're just saying not right now. Yeah, we're, not, we're saying no unless you want to work out, and then we'll say maybe. Yeah. That, I get it. So that, that's what this comes down to. It's if an he's, unnecessary risk he's for not a team ready. to take on. He's not ready. Yeah. If he doesn't feel like he can go out and just work out and do whatever he wants, he's not ready to play. Yeah. It's that simple. 
So if there are any more twists and turns in the Odell Beckham Jr. saga, we will bring them to you, whether it involves the Bills or not. In the meantime, there is even bigger news in the NFL today, and that's coming out of Tennessee, where the Titans have, in a surprise move, fired general manager John Robinson. Robinson is going to be replaced by Vice President of Player Personnel Ryan Cowden, who is going to lead the Player Personnel Department for the remainder of the season. The Titans, since this move has happened, have since released a statement which reads as follows. Since becoming controlling owner in 2015, my goal has been to raise the standards for what is expected in all facets of our organization. I believe we had made significant progress both on and off the field through investments in leadership, personnel, and new ideas. This is the uh, Titans owner, incidentally, Amy Adams Strunk. This progress includes the core of our business, the football team itself, which is regularly evaluated by both results, wins and losses, and team construction slash roster building. I am proud of what we have accomplished in my eight seasons of ownership, but I believe there is more to be done and higher aspirations to be met. I want to thank John for his dedicated work to set this organization on an upward trajectory, and I wish him and his family the best. So according to reports, there has been a disconnect with roster construction of late. That is what some of the national reporters, like Tom Pelissero from NFL Network, said. His understanding is Titans Brass wasn't happy with the direction of the roster assembled by John Robinson and decided to make a change despite leading the AFC South. By three games! He was under contract through the 2027 draft. The guy walks away. He's going to get paid for the next four years to not work for them. This, this, what are you doing? Right? This feels a little knee-jerk, doesn't it? Well, here's the thing. I mean, they just got <clears throat> throttled by the Eagles 40-14 to 14 last week, but that's one game. Like, did that put you over the edge? I don't understand. He got hired in 2016. They've won 66 games in the last seven years. 66 games. That's, more, that's an average of almost 11 wins a season. And they got a three-game lead now. See, at... And he hired Mike Vrabel, who's one of the hot. He's one of the. He could be coach of the year. The guy's great. They were the one seed a year ago. Went to an AFC championship game a few years back. So now they're. And I get it. Here's what happens in this situations. We saw even here in Buffalo, it happened in years, in decades past. It becomes personal at some place along the line. Either Mike Vrabel. Went to Amy Adams was unhappy, which I'm not saying he did. I have no idea. I don't know why he would, except for this season. The, the roster, I mean, they got rid of A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown crushed them this last week. And A.J. Brown should have been in, in Tennessee. And you can say all that, okay, yeah, yeah. But you know what? You still got a three-game lead in the division. And your, your window may – you may have thought it was going to slam shut. Well, you're still the division leaders. I mean – it becomes so, to me, it strikes me as being a personal thing. Either the owner yeah. was sick of looking at the guy or they had an argument or there was an argument between Vrabel and, and John Robinson and there was a power struggle inside the building. There's a, something happened other than – and plus the fact they're wishing him well. Hey, we appreciate your work. We've got higher aspirations. We want to do something. They just want to make a change for making a change. Yeah, I, I think it's personal somewhere yeah, it's along It's got to be, right? Because I don't know Amy Adams Strunk as an owner. I don't know her. I wouldn't know her if I saw her. Right. But – I can't believe that 
her dissatisfaction with John Robinson stems from last week's game against the Eagles in which your team got throttled and the guy that scored two touchdowns on you was the guy you traded away for a first-round pick who wound up being Traylon Burks, who has been nothing short of a colossal disappointment in his rookie year, while you're watching the guy that you used to have on your team beat you soundly for two touchdowns in a blowout loss. I'm sure that doesn't feel good, but I don't know that it's a fireable offense in light of John Robinson's track record that you already laid out, Steve. Um, For the most part, the roster build has been good in Tennessee. There have been misses in the draft. Well, I don't think there's any question about every, it. Everybody misses. Every every single yes. GM misses. Every single one As misses. a matter of fact, it's hard. When you think about the draft, and a, and a smart personnel man once told me this, you should treat the draft like a Major League Baseball batting average. If you have a GM that hits 300 in the draft – you've got a pretty good GM in terms of assessing and evaluating talent for your football team. If you've got a GM that hits 400 in the draft, you've you've got a Ted Williams. Extend him. You do. So I would like to go back and look at John Robinson's draft history over the years as GM of the Titans. I don't think he hit 400, but I would wonder if he's pretty close to 300 i got to believe he's close. I mean, he's responsible for drafting Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Jeffrey Simmons, um, Harold he, Landry. He, he made it go. He made it work with Ryan Tannehill. There were hits in there. Derrick Henry certainly. And, and when he got there, Derrick Henry was an afterthought. Remember, he was trading a lot. He was, like, splitting time with the other running yeah. back. And, and they said, no, nah, make this guy. And that was Vrabel. He hired Vrabel, helped him hire Vrabel, who – was a young first-time head coach and got that right. Um, that it, it just makes you wonder what happened. Why would they all of a sudden sour on John Robinson in Tennessee? They were the one seed nine months ago, and they were one and done, no question about it. But they they hit a buzzsaw in 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 Cincinnati, right? Did they get beat by Cincinnati? Um, Tennessee lost to Baltimore in 2020. They lost to the Chiefs in the AFC title game in 2019. Uh, last year, I can't remember. They were the one seed. They had a bye. Right. And then, yeah, yeah they had to lose. They lost to Cincinnati because the Bills were playing Kansas City. That's right. In the divisional playoff. That's a, so, so now they were one and done last year. And now, year. at the current moment, they are three games up in the division. Yeah. Three games. Hey, I mean, they lose, they're going to win the division. And they're kicking the guy to the curb. That speaks to me that something happened personally in that building. Mm. There was some relationships that went sour. There's, that's the only logical explanation as to why you would – do that. Yeah. Am I right? I mean, is it it's not? Pu- it, it's puzzling. It's especially the timing of it. Yeah. Right. Like, well, yeah. Like week 13. What are you doing? Yeah. I, that's what's puzzling to me. Why would they even be unhappy? Even like, seriously, like, why is it a consideration when your team is going to win the division? Like 
You're three games I mean, clear I, with five to play, and you play in a division with the one-win Houston Texans, the four-win Indianapolis Colts, and I don't even know how many games the Jaguars won, but they're not right. within a sniff of the division title either. So your team is going on to yet another division title. You've got a veteran group that is playoff tested. Right. And you ax the GM. Like, here's the other thing. Even if you want to fire the guy, don't you wait till the end of the season? Because now this is a distraction. Whether you want it to be or not, it is unequivocally a distraction for your football team. Because people in the locker room today are going, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Is there a, and now what's the next question? Is there a problem? Like, are, are we cleaning house? Think about Am this. Am I next? Think about, yeah. Like, you know Think what I mean? This. If they're That's firing, real. They're firing him after the job he did. I'm not sticking around. We're on our way to a division title. I'm not what, sticking what's, around. What's wrong? I, 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 there's like, where's the, there's no loyalty there. All so, that, okay, I'm out. All that move does is invite doubt into your locker room, into your administration building, and into your football department. All it does is invite doubt. That's all it does. And to me, in the short term, while you're trying to win something this year, that doesn't help you. Yeah, he took it like So there had to be some kind of internal argument, and somebody said, well, if you don't like it, fire me. And the owner said, okay, you're fired. Right. Like, can't you see that? I mean, how else do you explain this? In week 14, it makes no sense. Yeah. This This is the timing for a firing for a team like the Broncos. You're three and nine. Your team can't score. You're not even competitive from an offensive standpoint, and you've had enough. I can't do it anymore. We're we're cutting the cord here. Well, even week so, fourteen, even, we'll ride out the rest of the right. year, and we'll figure it out in the off season. That's the team where this kind of a move happens at this time of the season. Not a team three games clear in their division en route to another division title and headed for the playoffs. That's what happens. That's what should happen in Indianapolis or Houston, which it already did happen in Houston. Or Denver. Yeah, or Denver. It already happened in Carolina. Right. But don't. It's it's crazy. It defies logic. It's absolutely nuts. I mean, you might like. Oh, okay. The Chargers, maybe you're going to do that, but they're six and six. They're well, not it, seven and five, winning the division by three games. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. That I it's, mean, the owner in a statement said, you know, the standard is higher than what we've seen. Okay, but you know, maybe is, wait to the end of the year. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's just contemplate this for a second, okay? Because if I'm Mike Vrabel, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to say, hey, guys, I know a lot of you had in the locker room. Hey, guys, I know a lot of you had a respect for John Robinson. I have a lot of respect for him, too. I think he was a great GM. I think he did a lot to help our football team. You're all here in the room because he picked you, by the way. How How about we do right by John, try to rip off some wins here at the end of the season and see how far we can push this thing. Almost kind of like sticking it in the owner's ear. Yeah, you don't need. Yeah, but even so, um, th- that t- that's a team that shouldn't. With because a guy like Vrabel, there, there's no lack of motivation in the locker. No, room. but how does it look ownership wise? If the team runs off five straight wins, they finish twelve and five. 
They win the division, and they go to the playoffs, and let's say they make a deep run in the playoffs. You just fired the GM of that team! Yeah, but that's that's something where the ownership will say, yeah, we we lit the spark, we did the right thing. Uh, that's okay. what they'll, that's they'll, they'll, they'll claim. It. They'll claim victory. You know, um, we're doing the right things, and, you know, um, okay. we're pushing the right buttons. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it I, is I, peculiar I, I, I to really say the least. I really struggle to say maybe. I don't know. I don't, like you said, we don't know the ownership group, but they're saying, okay, we got crushed by a team who had our best player from a year ago who we had to trade because we couldn't sign him. Who, by the way, we couldn't sign him because I, as owner, told you not to pay him the money. But now that you traded him, you traded in that team, and they beat us, and he crushed us. I'm holding you responsible for it. Yeah. That's sometimes how this works. I'm not saying that's what happened in t- Tennessee, but if, if John Robinson is sitting there and didn't sign A.J. Brown because he had the money and just wouldn't do it, or the owner's saying, no, we're not going to pay him that much money, so he had to trade him to get something for him and then lost to the guy? And then the owner comes to him and say, well, you didn't, you, you're an idiot for trading him to the Philadelphia Eagles. He's out of conference, out of division. The guy's has gone as far away as you can get him. He just so happens to be on your schedule next year. He comes back to bite you, and then the owner, who wouldn't let you pay him, calls you on it. And fires you for it, like four day, two days after the game. <clears throat> I have a hard time thinking that somebody who owns an NFL team would fall prey to that. But you know, stranger things. What it looks happens. like, um, unless something else happened, unless there was a relationship, ongoing relationship yeah. that was souring and, and gone, and that that put it over the edge, which seems perhaps plausible. There is uh, other important news concerning quarterbacks that are injured. ESPN's Adam Schefter is reporting that Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson suffered a sprained PCL. He had a knee injury last week. Didn't I tell you? During, you did say PCL yesterday. That was yeah. your guess after watching him suffer the injury. Lamar Jackson suffered a sprained PCL during Sunday's win over the Broncos, according to league sources. PCL injuries often sideline players one to three weeks. Ravens head coach John Harbaugh has already said Jackson is less likely to play this weekend against the Steelers. And they're in a race right now. I mean, they're 8-4, and four, yeah. but they're in a race with Cincinnati in the AFC North. Every game is crucial, but it, it appears at least unlikely now that Baltimore, who currently leads the AFC North based on head-to-head with Cincinnati, with Cincinnati yeah. is going to have him the – The Ravens play the Steelers this week, so certainly not an insurmountable task. But the Steelers, very quietly, I think have won two games. Haven't they won their last two? I think they did. Um, Yes, two games. Back-to-back wins so far for Pittsburgh in the last couple of weeks. As uh, Mike Tomlin's crew valiantly tries to keep his record of never coaching a team that finishes the regular season under 500. Not for nothing, the Steelers have won three of their last four. Yeah. So they're... They might be doing it, it a little bit with smoke and mirrors, but well, it's happening. They got the Raider, Ravens coming up this week. So That's a tough one. But they got Carolina after that, the Raiders after that, and then the Ravens again. So they haven't even played the Ravens once this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got two games with the Ravens, then the Panthers, Raiders, and Browns to finish up the season. So the Steelers not a, are – Not a daunting schedule by any stretch. We'll see. We'll see. So that's interesting. And um, – 
you know, the conference race is tight. And, you know, we'll be discussing that actually on today's show. First, the Twitter topic of the day concerns Buffalo's matchup with the Jets on Sunday. How many points are the Bills going to need on Sunday to beat the Mike White-led Jets and why? So give us a point total and then tell us why you think that's all they need or they need that many. So give us a little reasoning behind the number that you think the Bills have to hit points-wise to get a much-needed victory over the Jets, who already have the head-to-head tiebreaker on them by virtue of their Week 9 win over the Bills. So fire that off and let us know. Um, One other thing that we should mention, Bills injury news. Head coach Sean McDermott late yesterday uh, addressed the media late in the afternoon. And basically with the injured players like Jordan Phillips, David Questenberry, Deion Dawkins, essentially said that all three are improving and they're going to play the wait-and-see game to see how they move through the week coming off of those injuries. And I guess we'll know a lot more, obviously, tomorrow if any of them are back participating on the practice field. And the only other note roster-wise is that Marquez Stevenson is wrapping up his 21-day practice window in his attempt to return from a foot injury suffered in training camp that landed him on IR. And they have basically until tomorrow to activate him to the 53-man roster or put him on season-ending injured reserve. So we'll see what the decision is there, and then we'll know. Uh, if Marquez Stevenson is going to be a factor on the Bills roster in the 2022 season. We will take a break here because when we come back, we will be discussing who to root for. We're getting (laughs) to that point in the season. Yes, the Bills are atop the conference, but it never hurts to have help, much like they had this past weekend. Who should you, as a Bills fan, be rooting for going into this weekend's games? We've got a person to help us with that. It's BuffaloBills.com content coordinator Alec White, who is going to join us next with all the details here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and glad to be joined now. First time in the studio, Bills content coordinator and Bills reporter from BuffaloBills.com, Alec White, here to help us with the AFC conference race, as it is now the time of year where Bills fans have to bust out the pom-poms for other teams (laughs) uh, down the stretch to uh, get as much help as possible, right? Absolutely. I mean, week 13 wins about as well as you can expect for the Bills, and everyone they were rooting for to win, Chiefs, Lost, Dolphins lost, mm-hmm. that one seed is right there. The great news for the Bills, they control their own destiny, which is what you want heading into December. Absolutely. Right, right. so what are, we th- what are we looking at? I mean, how close can we get? I mean, obviously the playoffs are getting close to being a foregone conclusion, if not mathematical. What about clinching a division? How close are we and how far do we have to go? <laughs> <laughs> We're well, five weeks out, Steve. You're already looking Well, you cut division. that in half and it's about – a three-week window where yeah. that's the soonest, if everything goes right for the Bills, week 16 is the target date for the soonest they could clinch the AFC East. Two right. games, divisional back-to-back this yep. week at home. 
Jets, Dolphins. So if you run the scenarios, let's say Buffalo beats the Jets this weekend, beats Miami the following weekend, and then wins their Week 16 matchup on Christmas Eve against the Bears. Chicago, yeah. All right. three, you would feel comfortable right now saying the Bills could do that. They would also need Miami to lose their next two games, which is also possible because they play at the Chargers. they got to go all the way uh, the, in the West Coast. Well, they're already on the West Coast yeah, right now. Yeah, they're out there right. this week. But then they've got a short week to come back to yep. Buffalo. So you put all those things together, and week 16 right now could be a time when the Bills could be three-time AFC East champions. All right, you're getting right. people giddy right, right. out of the so, gate here. Yeah, I get you. I get you. But, yeah, and what about – what about because um, nothing ever goes perfect. Right. So <laughs> – <laughs> the Bills win. The Bills win. They're in, and all that, and all our hopes and dreams happen for the regular season. So, what hap- What is the most likely scenario? Say, one, Dolphins are going to probably go uh, lose one game. Bills probably lose one game on the way. You're down talking the about the rest of the way. Yeah, the rest of the way. This is. I mean, you're you're getting to the point where, like last year, we could have been the one seed if one game swings our way. Goes it was the, the other Titans way. game. Right. Titans last game. Year. They beat the Titans. We end up the three seed, which wasn't yeah. all bad. Home playoff game, two home playoff games. No, one. One they playoff one game. One home playoff game. Um, I mean, what are the what are the percentages for the other team? Because I know the Bills are the highest percentages. Percentage. Hmm. I don't know. Well, what are so we about? New York Times has a playoff yeah, simulator. Playoff Crunching simulator. the numbers, right now the Bills, uh, their odds to win the division, 77% after this past week, after week 13. The odds to get the number one seed – 40%, 47%. It's the highest of any AFC team. Right. So right now, they're mathematically okay. the favorites to win the division and get the one seed. But like you said, nothing ever goes yeah. according to plan. Right. So let's say they go 4-1 and one over their next five games, the Bills do. With the win over Miami, that gets you the AFC East title. But if they go 4-1 and one in a win um, – over Cincinnati and the one seed, or win over Cincinnati plus a KC loss, they get the one seed still. But if they lose, if that loss is against the Bengals, then it would be it gets a little more trickier. We'd have yeah, to we'd right. have to have more and discussions and on that. I'm surprised it's even that high because I think as Steve and I have discussed on this show, Kansas City's remaining opponents, it's a pretty easy schedule for them. Yeah, they're as opposed to the Bills, who have a lot of challenging opponents have, left. The Bills have played the toughest schedule in the league so far, or one of, because of the amount of wins their opponents have had. I and mean, the Chiefs' the remaining Chiefs schedule are, is a cakewalk. The Chiefs got the Broncos. Seattle's a tough game. Houston. Oh Seattle's gosh. a tough game, it but, is, I mean, Alec, look at that. I'm surprised the Bills' percentages to get the number one seed are as high as they are in that simulator, only because of what the Chiefs are looking at with five games left. It is, and if – the, the the Bills were to lose a game, then the Chiefs jump back up. Even, yeah. Even with – Sure. The mathematical is saying – the simulator is saying that the the odds are in favor of KC yeah. winning five in a row as opposed to the Bills winning five in yeah. a row. And remember, the Bills are already on a three-game win streak. Yes. Asking a team to go eight, eight wins in a row yes. in the, into the playoffs uh, is a tough ask. Right. And right. I, so I guess what becomes important here – is if the Bills go four and one, those four wins have to be against the right teams. Like you want to make sure you, if you're going to have one loss in there, you want it to be to like Chicago, not to an AFC team to factor into a conference race tie, a conference oh record tiebreaker. Don't you don't want Bills. it factoring in to a division tiebreaker with Miami. So one of those four wins you want to be against Miami. 
One of those four wins you definitely want to be against Cincinnati because you're competing with them, presumably, for the top seed if they continue on their hot streak. I know they're 8-4, and four, and they're behind them in terms of one loss, but you want the head-to-head against them. So, yeah, if you're going to go 4-1 and one down the stretch here, if you're going to pick a loss, you want it to the remaining NFC opponent probably, right? right? Yeah, and if they were to lose, let's say, this week to the Jets, the Bills, Oof. you know, it would be tough, and the Dolphins win. Then the Dolphins would jump back into – the division the, lead. The division lead. Buffalo yeah. would slot back into a wild card, and it becomes even more of a slippery slope if Miami were to win next week. Right. All right, so let's look at matchups this week so Bills fans know who they should be rooting for in what I see are six matchups that involve AFC conference teams that could pose a threat to Buffalo. Let's start Browns. And Bengals here, Alec. I think this is pretty obvious who we're rooting for here, right? Yeah. I mean, Browns, yes. I mean, kind of tough to to say that right now. But, yes, mathematically, you want – the Bills fans want the Browns to win this one. Uh, outside of the Chiefs, the Bengals are that, that team right now that could make a challenge to the number one yeah. seed. We, a lot of people, myself included, kind of forgot about Cincinnati in the race for – the, the supremacy in the right. AFC. They're a team right now that's putting a lot of things together, yeah. playing well. Won three in a row, won three, yep. six of their last seven. I mean, the Bills still have a head-to-head to work with, you know, in week 17 with Cincinnati if they're close to one another in a few weeks. But yeah. hand them as many losses as you can. Right? Yeah, Cincinnati's got Cleveland at home. With Deshaun Watson, who's right. got, you know, <clears throat> hopefully knocked the rust off now, then they go week. Then they got two tough road games. They go to Tampa Bay, and then they, well, they go to New England, which... Um, it's easier than we anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> but then they, they finish up with Buffalo and Baltimore. So that, the Bengals have probably got as tough a finishing schedule as anybody, including Buffalo. Uh, well, because they play us uh, in Baltimore and Tampa Bay. All right. So that's, it's not easy for the Bengals coming down the stretch. Chiefs and Broncos, we know who we're rooting for here, right? Broncos, Alex? yep. Yeah, Broncos Hoping all the way. Broncos got Russell no Wilson. shot in this game. <laughs> <laughs> they have hey, no shot. You got to have hope, though, Steve. I mean, it's we, a home, looking... home game for the Broncos. You never know. It's in Denver. With... Russ Wilson, the whole the big story of the day is Russ Wilson's got more bathrooms in his house than he does touchdown yes, we, passes. We did see that <laughs> on social media. That is media. unbelievable. All right. Um, they are hammering that guy out there. I... Jaguars, Titans, we're rooting for the Jags here, right? Yep. And the good thing in all this is, you know, we're going to – the Ravens, too, you know, root for the Steelers this weekend. For the Steelers. Kind of jumping ahead. No Lamar Jackson. The good thing for the Bills is the the division leaders, as it stands right now, the Ravens are still division leaders. The Titans are – and, you know, and the Chiefs in the AFC West. The Bills have beaten them all. Yeah. Right. They got the head-to-head edge in the conference. Got to win the division first. All right, Dolphins, Chargers. Chargers are treading water at 6-6, six and six, but we, we need them to beat the Dolphins, obviously. And Justin Herbert's playing better as of late. Looks a little bit healthier coming off the, the rib injury from earlier this season. They, they beat Arizona. They were close against Oakland, the Raiders all of a sudden, or Vegas. Uh, yeah. They've all had a, a resurgence, but the Chargers Charger. at home. We were talking about the Chargers. They're soft. <laughs> They're soft. They're so soft. Steve's got a pick. Get a running today. game going. They have, no, they're they're soft. They got no <laughs> shit. They're the the head coach is going to get fired. The GM's going to get. There's wow. How do you go into the season with that roster and end up six and six well, when you got Denver in the shape that they're in? I know. And the Raiders and the, the Raiders shape. in the shape that they're in. Yeah, but they just they just played the Raiders so last bad. week. Yeah, 
Um, we are rooting for a inspired performance from the Chargers uh, against the Dolphins, who have been out on the West Coast all week. Tua is not 100%. You know, he's got a little dinged ankle. He's going to play. Um, really, the only other game, Alec, that I see, and it's Pats-Cardinals, but really you've split now with the Pats, or you got your win on the Pats. Obviously, if you have to beat them in Week 18, fine. But they're 6-6, six and six, much like the Chargers are. Um, are the Patriots on the road? Are they at Arizona? Yes, uh, Monday, road. Monday night game Ooh, at good. Arizona. I like that. So have them lose another one. Yeah. Let Kyler Murray get healthy and run up their record in the NFC. We don't care about those cats. Right. Um, but I guess if we're really pulling for teams, we really want the Chargers and Broncos to have big performances. Who would have thought we wouldn't be able to count on AFC West teams? Oh, my gosh. Brutal. We thought, that, we thought that was going to be an absolute train wreck out there. They were going to murder everybody, and now they're – Their division is a, it's a kind of a joke outside of the Chiefs. Yeah. People were saying at the beginning of the year it could have been three, maybe four playoff teams from that division. Now yeah. it's only looking like one. Now the East is going to – the, the, the AFC East, East has got a three teams It's the in best it. division in football, or in the AFC conference at least. Yeah. The NFC East is surprisingly strong too. Nobody thought that was going to happen either. Everybody thought the NFC West. Unbelievable. Everybody thought the West divisions were going to be great, and they all ended up crumbing. Crummy. Yeah. Alec, thanks for spelling it out uh, for us. We'll we will look again. for you in coming weeks as yep. uh, this playoff picture – take shape i know there's a couple of teams that have clinching scenarios this week um, for playoff berths i saw that today um yeah the chiefs can win the division if they beat the broncos and the chargers lose and the yes and the Chargers. and then lose. they win the oh afc gosh. west already in week 14 Give us a little help out there <laughs> and the vikings of course it might be good if they if they if they do clinch Maybe, Maybe they, they take, take their foot off yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. Nah, they're still going to play for the one seed. They know Minnesota, how valuable it's been Minnesota, to be an Can they head. clinch this week just with a win? Minnesota with a win clinches. Yes. Just, all if they, they beat Detroit. Detro- they got to beat Detroit. Detroit's playing good. Detroit playing That's good. That's not a gimme. Uh, I'm going to say it right now. Detroit's going to beat Minnesota. How about that? I I'm, think Vegas has them. Happen. They're favored. Detroit is the favored. The Lions are? Yes. Yeah, they are. They're, They're going to win. You watch. They're counting on Minnesota's luck to run Minnesota's out. Minnesota's been doing it with smoke and mirrors. It is absolutely unbelievable. And then Philly is the other team that can clinch. Philly, yes. With a win and a San Francisco and a Seattle loss. So they need two teams to lose, and they have to win. It seems a little more unlikely there. But, uh, okay, Alec, we'll look for you in the coming weeks. Thanks for helping us out this week. We'll catch up with you next week. Absolutely. Go Bills. That's Alec White, Bills reporter, content coordinator at buffalobills.com. You can find all his work there during the week and over the weekends as well after game days. We will take a break here. Be back with more on One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Visit buffalobills.com slash sbsweeps and enter for a chance to win two tickets to Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. One winner will win two tickets, airfare, and lodging to attend the Super Bowl. That's a nice trip in February, huh? Hmm. Getting some nice warm desert weather. That would be a very nice trip in February. Welcomed. I hope we have a reason to go. I hope we're out there. Hope we have a reason to go. (laughs) That would be nice. Uh, Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And asking you today, concerning this Bills-Jets matchup, how many points do the Bills need on Sunday to beat Mike White and the Jets? Mike White 
has been extraordinarily productive through the air the last two weeks for the Jets. He's gone for over 300 passing yards in both games, and he's got a win and a loss. Win over the Bears, loss to the Vikings. What will get it done for Buffalo on Sunday in terms of a point total, and why are you picking that number? 803-0550, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at one bills live steve what do you think will get it done this week i don't think it's going to take that much 20 points 20 yeah for okay. sure i might be less than that um wow i i don't think the jets are going to sit there and think that they're gonna you know do it with a you know holding the bills to three field goals i think they're gonna i think they're gonna try and, and air it out they're gonna they're they're going to know they got to roll the dice to beat this team. They're going to have to take some risk with the football. Mm. So I think they're going to go down the field, and they, you know they'll have some confidence about what they the, the game they had against the Bills uh, three weeks ago or whenever it was uh, a month ago. So yeah, I think it'll take twenty because um, I think the the Jets are in that moment now with this roster where they're going to be a little bit desperate, and desperate teams do th- some things that you don't expect. And I think, Bills, they're gonna, I think they'll take some risks with the football. And yeah. I think, you know, some of those risks will work. Not all of them. And they may backfire on them. But I think that's what it's going to take to beat them. The Bills have failed to score 20 points in a game twice this season. Both of them losses. Once in week three against the Dolphins, they lose 21-19. And the second time against this very Jets team in week nine, they lose 20-17. to So, and that was with Zach Wilson at quarterback. They lost right. to the Jets 20-17. to 17. I think we can all agree that the Jets' offense is far more functional down-to-down, series-to-series with Mike White in the lineup. You give Mike White clear reads. He can make progressions, deliver the football quickly, and get the ball out and make plays, as opposed to Zach Wilson, who maybe his biggest fault was holding on to the ball too long, maybe didn't trust what he saw, Maybe didn't know what he was looking at, whatever the case might be. So as we were talking to Michael Robinson about that very subject yesterday, Steve, this was Michael Robinson's opinion, and I share it, that if you're going to slow down Mike White and the Jets' passing game, you got to be really good with your post-snap disguise so that Mike White can't pull the trigger as quickly as he usually does. Yeah, I think you got to. You're right. I mean, if you want to do that and you got this, the ball's coming out fast, and we've seen this even earlier in Tua's career down in Miami where the Bills would come in, particularly two years ago when they came in, they actually put him out of the game early in the game because they sent pressure and jumped the short routes, the quick routes. They anticipated the slant routes or the quick outs, jumped them, and Tua had to stop, couldn't throw it because the DB jumped the route, came off to a second read and didn't have time because the pressure was right there on his face. That's what you're looking at. And, and it, it'll work for a minute until the moment they, they, you know, they block it up, Yeah. get a hat on a hat, max protect, and one of the guys falls down or gets a double, goes a double move to a lays it out for him. Or, or in this case, you know, Mike White lays it out for him and, and they go the distance. So that's what you're up against. But if they don't know what's coming and it's disguised and you can get that pressure fast with an extra yeah, with an extra de- defensive player, yeah, that's what, that's what you do. But we'll see. White, you, as you said, and you noticed, and I didn't realize this, but I think you're exactly right, 
He doesn't go off script. Yeah, he's not a second reaction quarterback. So, so when you can, if you, and and they will, teams will dissect what the Jets' plan is, and they'll say if they do this, they're going to try and go here and here and here. They'll know what he's going to do. Yeah, and their guys, they should be on it. Um, it's that off the script stuff that crushes you. I mean, there is no offense to Mike White, but there is a reason why he's a backup quarterback in this league. There are limitations to his game. Otherwise, he'd be a starter, if not with the Jets, somewhere else. And that's just not the case because there are limitations to his game. One, his improvisational skills are greatly limited. Um, but when the reads are clear and he, you know, he clearly knows his, his own system, he can deliver the football and make plays for you. The problem is when he's under pressure or the play doesn't unfold as it's drawn up in the playbook, he has trouble improvising, making plays off script, making second reaction throws when maybe, you know, I'm ready to throw it here. Oh, my God, Greg Rousseau's arms are up. I can't go there. And then he looks to make something else happen somewhere else. Right. That's when things break down for Mike White, and he becomes a largely ineffective quarterback. So how effectively the defense can impact Mike White's decision-making will go a long way in helping the Bills win the football game on Sunday. Yeah, and I, and I think the Bills will have a plan for it. Uh, they should be highly motivated. This is one of the three games they've dropped this season. Uh, and I'll say this, too, more so than the Minnesota game, obviously, and also the Miami game down in Miami. This is one, the, one of the three losses where I thought the Bills didn't give it. The, the Jets played well enough to win. I thought they played really well. Yeah. Um, their defense was on it. Um, they played good in all phases. And they played better on that week than the Bills did. And, and that's this is the one loss I, th I think I can say that about. The Minnesota game, oh, my gosh. And the Dolphin game down in the heat early in the season when the Bills were ravaged by injury and then didn't have enough – I mean, they couldn't even stand up on the field. It was so hot. Right. Um, those two games, the Minnesota and Miami game, were nothing like the Jet game that the Bills lost because I thought the Jets played their best football of the season. When you get a team that plays its best, they are hard to beat, and the Bills found that out on the road. We will take a break here, but when we come back, plenty more Jets to discuss as we are joined by SNY Jets analyst Ligier Doosable. He's joining us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. We are hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the program. And we're pleased to be joined now to talk some Jets with us. Former Bills defensive tackle, 10-year NFL veteran, co-host of I Am Athlete Tonight and studio analyst for CBS Sports. It is one Ligier Doosable joining us on the line to talk some Jets. Ligier, how we doing? Chris, Taz, how you guys doing, man? It's good to talk to you guys. Good, good to have you on. Thanks for coming and spending some time with us. What's the vibe in New York with, about the Mike White thing, how it's going, how he played last week? Uh, give us a little synopsis of how the Jets look. 
I mean, if, if you look at his teammates and how they've embraced Mike White, right? I mean, all you have to see is almost every Jet player had a Mike White shirt on heading to Minnesota. That's how they've embraced this young man. He's a true leader, a, a calming presence in the huddle. Um, you heard Garrett Wilson speak about that after the game, right? He's just cool, calm, and collective. And when your your star rookie receiver comes out and says, you know, I'd go to war with that guy any anywhere you know that kind of lets you know how they feel about Mike White he's a guy that actually processes really well fellas and he has just a big enough arm and he knows how to run the Mike LaFleur offense he's not trying to be Superman out there he's going to take what the defense gives him and again this is a big opportunity for him this Sunday versus the Bills because he gets to kind of wrestle some of them demons from last year when the Bills took the ball away from him four times yeah right um what what do we make of the Zach Wilson situation. I mean, it's it's not like he gets demoted to backup. He's inactive. And Robert yeah. Sala said he will be again this week. I know he also said they haven't closed the book on Zach Wilson as a New York Jet, but this has got to be <laughs> far from ideal uh, for Zach Wilson yeah. and for the organization long-term at the position, right? Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation, right, Chris? Because you talk about being the number two overall pick in 21, right? That's a high draft pick. And usually guys like that get two to three years of opportunity before, you know, a team decides to bench them. But I say kudos to Robert Sala, right? He understands that he has 52 other people to think about on that team. They have a playoff slash championship defense, the way they get after people. And when you have a defense playing at that type of level, you can't waste them on a year when you're trying to bring along a young quarterback. Now, granted, does this hurt in his growth? Maybe, but Zach Wilson just wasn't doing the simple things right. The simple check downs, his footwork was all over the place. Um, turning the ball over, you know, versus, you know, the New England Patriots that first game on simple throwaways, guys, things that you cannot do. And then in the second game, it was worse because it was like he was gun shy. He just refused to throw the football and was taking unwarranted sacks. So Mike White comes in and, of course, you know, he cooks against the Chicago Bears. But then he puts up 360 versus the Minnesota Vikings. Now, granted, right, their, their pass defense is one of the worst in the NFL, but it was some of those big time throws that we saw Chris and Tass, like the fourth and 10 pass to Corey Davis with the game on the yeah. line on the end breaking yeah. route where the safe, the corner is literally on Corey Davis's back and he puts it where only Corey Davis can catch the football. So it's not an ideal thing for the Jets because you got a guy that you took number two, but shout out to the GM, you know, um, Joe Douglas and also head coach Robert Sala for making this move understanding what they have on their current roster. Yeah, and what's that mean going forward? I mean, they're not going to find – I mean, yeah. as long as Mike White plays well, he ain't going anywhere. Uh, Zach Wilson's I, Yeah, you inactive. said it, Taz. Yeah, I mean, so what that yeah. really hamstrings their ability to find out if Zach Wilson is the guy. Yeah, and I think going forward, I would not be surprised if Zach Wilson was inactive the rest of the year, to just be honest with you, just because, like you said, Taz, how do you look at the 52 other guys in that locker room – when Mike White is averaging throwing over 300 a game. That's something they haven't had all year long, right? And with the defense that I just talked about, right, I believe their top 10 in scoring defense, I believe they gave up just about 18.6 points uh, a game. And with this front four and how they're able to get after the quarterback and then those two dominant corners they have, like it's hard for a head coach to – you know, generally look at guys in the face and say, we're trying to do what's best for the organization. When you have a guy like Mike White that is producing at a high level and keeping you in games. And the thing was this last game versus Minnesota kind of taught us something about Mike White, right? 
before with Zach Wilson, they were just not, they were scared to give him certain plays. Well, in that game versus Minnesota, they opened up the playbook for Mike White and he threw them back into that game because for once this season, this defense didn't play as well in the first half, right? They were down 23. Mike White got them back in the game. Now they have to be better in the red zone. Obviously you can't go one for six and only score one time, uh, score one touchdown in the red zone and expect to win games in the NFL. But Mike White was efficient with the football. He knew where to go with the football. When that back foot hit, he let it go. So, yes, it's a bind, but you also have to live in the now, right? I talked about that, Chris and Steve. Like, if you have, if you feel like you have a, t- a roster that's built for the playoffs, you got to look at those 52 other guys and be like, we're going to do what's best for the team right now. Yes, we have to worry about the future, but we got to do what's best for this team right now. Yeah. Um, last week, the red zone was a problem on both sides of the ball. I mean, the Jets go yeah. one for six in the red zone on offense, and – you know, they get two cracks at it to win the football game at the end. They can't punch it in. And then uncharacteristically, the defense lets the Vikings go in three of three. Um, is Do we consider this a one-off or is this a troubling situation that's brewing here? I would say it's it's a one-off, right? It was on offense. We'll start with the offense first, guys. Uh, lack of execution in the red zone will kill you. Um, also, I think Michael LaFleur would like to have a few play calls back, if we're being honest. I mean, the screen the screenplay on one first down and then an end around or a speed sweep to Braxton Berrios. When, uh, you know, Zonovan Knight was running with purpose, I think you should have gave him three cracks at that and then maybe on fourth and one through the football because, again, he made Harrison Smith, who was a perennial Pro Bowl safety, miss in the hole when he was scot-free and he got back to the line of scrimmage. So I think it was a combination of some play calls that Michael LaFleur would like to have back and then just poor execution in the red zone. On defense, honestly, it seemed like the defense kind of slept walk through the first half. I don't know what it was. They just routinely bow up in the red zone, and they didn't. Now, granted, you know, DJ Reed one-on-one with Justin Jefferson in the second half on that red zone opportunity. Justin Jefferson's going to make most corners, you know, look bad on one-on-one situation. It, it wasn't like he made DJ Reed look bad. He's just a superior receiver. I honestly think he should be in the MVP, MVP race and not just offensive player race this year for what he's done for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, you guys know it firsthand. I mean, the, the game versus Minnesota, he was, re- I mean, versus you guys was ridiculous. I mean, I think he went over 180 that game. But, um, you know, the, the, the defense just didn't make the stops, right? I think there was some miscommunication on some. And then, one cardinal sin we used to always say on defense, you can't let them run the football in, right? And the Jets allowed that in the first half. You can't allow somebody to run the football in on you. They, 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 you know, they shirt things up in the second half. They really nullified the run game. And besides that one drive where Justin Jefferson scored, the Minnesota Vikings do anything the second half. And, I mean, you know, the Jets are the best fourth-quarter team as far as point differential in the NFL. I think Minnesota was second. So if they had just started faster in that game, I believe that game would have turned out different for them. The last time these two teams played, I think the Jets put together their most complete effort of the season. I mean, Zach Will, I mean, they he, he didn't throw it away. Didn't He didn't do anything crazy. And they played yeah. well enough to win. In fact, I was telling Brownie just before you came on, of the three losses the Bills have, that's the one you got no excuse for. The, the Jets outplayed them. What can mm-hmm. the Jets take from that game into this one to help them here in Orchard Park? Yeah, I think they they feel comfortable in who they are. They know they're a defensive-minded team that is going to come and play hard-nosed defense, right? That front four, right, they were a pain in Josh Allen's side that game. I believe five sacks that game and forced two interceptions, and it actually should have been three. Um, Jordan White had dropped another one 
later on in that third quarter. But yeah. again, some of those plays, Josh Allen, you don't routinely see him make. Now he's made a few of them this year, but going back to the last few years, he had, he routinely hadn't made some of those like the Jordan Whitehead interception. That was mind boggling. I mean, I thought he was trying to throw it over his head to Dawson Knox, but he literally threw it right to Jordan Whitehead. And then the other one to sauce Garner. Um, I didn't understand what, what he saw on that play sauce, you know, sloughs off in zone coverage and gets an easy pick that hits him right in between the numbers, but this defense gets after you, right? And they got after Josh Allen pretty good that game. That was the game he actually hurt his elbow because Bryce Hoff, you know, beat Quisenberry across the edge when, uh, you know, Josh was in dropping back to throw the ball and, and he went for the ball and his elbow got hurt on that play. So this defensive line gets after people, right? And like, honestly, Sunday's game was the, the game that they didn't create as much pressure as they routinely do. And I thought they would with Christian Derisaw being out that game. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, my guy Deion Dawkins can go this week. Because if not, I think the Jets like their situation with, you know, Spencer Brown and, and Quisenberry on the outside. What uh, can you tell us about Zonovan Knight? He gets the he gets the start last week, 15 carries, 90 yards. As you said, he was running with purpose. Do you think he earns another start? Does he earn the lion's share of the load, or do they continue going committee approach here? I honestly think he deserves to start, right? And I love Michael Carter, but if you look at Michael Carter in his history, right, he's never been the number one back. He's always had to share the load. And if you hear Robert Sala, he's just so giddy about Bam Knight, right? He runs with purpose. He's that one cut, get down here runner. And that's what you need in this Mike LaFleur slash Shanahan system, right? You can't be dancing in the backfield. And you see from these clips right here, right? He gets downhill fast and in a hurry. He There's no fair dodging in the backfield. And then he seeks out contact and runs through contacts, uh, contact, and he does a really good job catching the ball out of the backfield as well. So, honestly, the way that Robert Sala has talked about this kid, I would not be surprised if he got the start again versus Buffalo. And if and if he does, I mean, give us an idea of how much he can come in, because Garrett Wilson certainly has emerged as being the guy. I mean, yep. they got everything they desired in him, uh, certainly as the number one guy going forward. How balanced does this offense need to be and what can we expect to see run versus pass Garrett Wilson and, and the running game? Well, it needs to be way more balanced than it was Sunday. I mean, Mike White threw the ball 57 times. Right. I guarantee that's that wasn't, you know, the intent going into that game versus the Minnesota Vikings. Now, you know, Bam Knight ran for over 90, but let's not forget one run he broke for like 45 yards. So the other runs, I believe, combined on his 13 carries, he averaged like 3.6 yards a carry. So they have to be a little bit better in the run game. And that starts up front with the offensive line. George Fent was able to come back last week. I mean, Max Mitchell started the game, but they inserted George Fent, I think, within the first quarter because Max Mitchell had some struggles early on in that game. So I think George Fent will start this week. And hopefully they can bring that continuity with that offensive line as far as that zone scheme. They got to be able to run off the football. This is an athletic defensive line for the Buffalo Bills. And one thing they do is they rotate a lot of guys, just like the New York Jets do. So this will be something that the Jets are used to seeing on offense because they practice against our defensive line or the Jets defense line and they, you know, constantly rotate guys, especially with Von Miller being out. You know, those guys are going to definitely rotate a lot of guys. Uh, you know, Epineza has a sack last week. I thought it was big for him. Greg Russo came back from his injury last week. Ed Oliver, two weeks ago, was the defensive player of the week in the AFC. So it's going to be a tall task for this offensive line. And, and, and make no mistakes, I think Dwayne Brown, being the Wiley veteran that he is, came out this week and said, we have to have our most complete game and we have to play mistake-free football if we want to win this game. I think it's going to be a very different game for a multitude of reasons, but I think because of the personnel that are actually healthy enough to play in this thing. You mentioned George Fant. 
you know, Bam Knight is a factor now. Corey Davis didn't play in the last game for the Jets. You have Mike yep. White, a quarterback. And then for the Bills, their defense is miles healthier than they were back in Week 9 when sure. Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White, and Matt Milano weren't on the field. All three of those guys are going to be in the lineup on Sunday. It's going to be a lot different for Mike White. Yeah, and, and we talked about this starting the show or starting the second hour of the show, right? He gets to exercise some of those demons. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the Bills are, what, 8-0 when Jordan Poyer plays this year? Yes. So, you know, things are in their favor. That lets you know what type of player Jordan Poyer is and what he means to not only this defense, this team, right? He's that rock-solid safety in the back, perennial pro bowler, one of the best safeties in the league. I love Jordan. I've, I trained with him down here in Miami for many years. So he's just an amazing dude and an amazing player. And Matt Milano, and I mean, and you talked about Matt Milano, but Trey, uh, Tremaine, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, the way he played last week, fellas, you could tell he was pissed off being home and hurt because literally I, I felt like for the first 20 plays of that game, he was around the ball carrier. Like he played with his hair on fire last week. And with him and Matt Milano, one might dare to say that's the best linebacking crew in the NFL when both of those guys are actually healthy and on the field. And yeah. Tredavious White is working his way back as well. So you're right, Chris. This will be a different different game because I I think both sides are more healthier than yeah. they were the first time they played. What about that? Besides, way- you know, Von Miller and right. so potentially if Deion Dawkins can go. Right. What, give us an idea of what the Jets' plan was and why they were able to hold Josh Allen at bay the last time these two teams played. Yeah, they just put – they put it on the front four and and that's that's been the bread and butter of this team right if you go and look at robert sala's lineage and when he was at seattle and when he was at san francisco right he always wanted to have a front four and then he wanted to have two shutdown corners well they got that with the new york jets so like when you can rush four and keep the safeties over the top or maybe even bracket a you know a stefan Diggs with one of the safeties and have one safety free in the middle of the field it makes it a lot easier for your defense, right? Because you already know what you're doing. Now, they don't mind putting those two corners on the island. We saw that last week. DJ Reed was lined up with Justin Jefferson a few times in one-on-one situations. It'll be interesting to see, right, the chess match that's going to happen. Will Ken Dorsey move, you know, digs around and put him more in the slot this time around to, to be up on Michael Carter? Another thing, uh, the Jets most likely won't probably have Michael Carter. He got banged up in last week's game and had to come out tried to go back into the game, was limping around, didn't look good. They pulled him out of the game. So that'll be a matchup to watch. Brandon Eccles most likely slides into that slot area. Does Ken Dorsey try to take advantage of that? Because he's had some struggles when Michael Carter has been hurt in that slot area. So I would not be surprised to see them motioning Stefan Diggs, putting him in that slot to take advantage of that situation. But, but you know, bear no bags of uh, bones about it. Like Robert Sala trusts these corners. He will put them in man coverage. And sometimes he'll have those two safeties over the top to keep it in two man. But those two guys on the outside, he he's comfortable with putting them in man coverage. Right. Lee Thanks for all the insight. We appreciate it. Uh, as we always uh, do every year, we kind of hit you up for the jets. So thanks for spelling it all out for us. Should be a good game on Sunday. Yeah. I can't wait to see it guys. All right. Thanks, that's Lee Doosable analyst for CBS sports joining us here. And, Always has the 411 for us on the New York Jets as he covers that team each and every season. Um, I really think it's going to be a much different game than the one we saw in week nine for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, if Von Miller, we know Von Miller's not going to be part of the equation being on IR. Um, Deion Dawkins is still a question mark uh, as he's trying to get back from that ankle injury in time for Sunday's game. But I, I think defensively, 
the Bills' defense is going to be miles different from what the Jets saw the first time. And granted, it's going to be a different quarterback looking at the Bills' defense anyway in Mike White. But just think about that, Steve. No Tredavious White, no Jordan Poyer, no Matt Milano in the first matchup in Week 9. Those three guys are all going to be on the field on Sunday. That makes a huge difference. Yeah, Von Miller's not going to be there, though. And, and, I, and this, is going to be, this is not going to be one of those games, I think, where the Bills run off and leave this team. Their front is too good. I think it's going to be hard to score on them. My points are going to be in a premium. You're going to have to score when you get the chance. And I, and I think one thing that you've got to do, too, is get a turnover. You've got to be on the positive side of the turnover. Um, if you're even in the turnover margin, it's going to be a one-score game at the end of it, I think just because of the quality of their defense and the depth they have. And he's right. Their corners will hold up um, if they give whoever's got Steph Diggs help. Uh, I think Gabe Davis is going to be put under a little pressure to, to win some one-on-ones. McKenzie will be under, put under some pressure to win some one-on-ones, and it'll be up to the running backs to maybe and, – and Dawson Knox to emerge maybe a little bit, which has – you know, a lot of people have been calling for Dawson Knox to do that. Yeah. And he hasn't yet. Jets are talking about having to start faster this week. They they got blitzed early right. in that game against the Vikings. They're down 17-3 to three before they even blinked. Right. And, yes, they climb into it at the end, but I, I got to believe the Bills can kind of go to school on some of the things that the Vikings did to be so successful early on in that game. Well, yeah. I, uh, yeah. And the, every team will. But I think there's also some things. You know, the Jets are good enough defensively to do some things. And I think, I think Ken Dorsey's going to be put to the test here. He's going to have to make some adjustments on the fly. I don't well, think, especially if Dawkins can't play. <clears throat> particularly, too, since you got to feel like the Jets are going to think, and maybe rightfully so, they're going to match up fine with the Bills' offensive line. And they, if they can get some single blockers on some matchups they like, Josh may be running around back there. Uh, the Jets are going to come in pretty confident on defense, and it's the other side of the ball. What the what the Bills' defense can get done against their offense, I think is going to be the difference in the game. Yeah. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, we've got some thoughts of yours on the tweet sheet. How many points do you think it's going to take and why to get a win over the Jets on Sunday? And we might have a little bit of time for some NFL true-false. All of that next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, how many points do you think the Bills need to beat the Jets on Sunday? And tell us why. 803-0550, the number to get on board. We go to the tweet sheet right now, though. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Dan leads us off and says 24-plus for points. Mike White is an efficient enough quarterback that he will keep their offense on the field just enough to keep it close it's kind of what we've been talking about the whole time he's he brings a functionality to the Jets offense that Zach Wilson flat out could not he just couldn't one problem Mike White is going to have is that he's not going to be going against the 31st pass defense in the NFL this week like right. he did last week that's going to be a problem for him 31st uh, overall defense too I mean, they give up yards like it's a candy sale. He's going to be playing against a defense that's every bit as good as the Jet defense or vice versa. 
Um, so it's going to be tough. Um, we'll see. I, I'm fully confident that the Bills defense that he's going to see this week is going to be much different than the one that played the Jets the first time, and that's going to be the difference in this game. I don't think Mike White is going to be able to keep up. Yeah. That's that's the way I think. If the Bills win, that's why. Yeah. I, I think, yes, it's it's not great that you don't have Von Miller, but I think it's the guys in the back seven that are even more important. You have Poyer. You have Tredavious White, who's going to play even more this week. Coach Frazier said it yesterday. And Milano. Addressing the media. They were very encouraged by the way Trey played on Thursday night against New England. And he he said yesterday they want to put even more on his plate this week. He's got a Trey loves rising to a challenge, and I'm I don't think he's going to follow Garrett Wilson all over the field. But Garrett Wilson is a nice challenge, so very much so, yeah. Trey usually rises to the occasion in those situations, and you have Poyer and you have Milano. You didn't have all three of those guys in the last meeting in Week Nine, so I think that's a good thing from a Bills perspective. Jeremy on the tweet sheet says, 21 points or more. I think our team is starting to hit the summit for the season, and I think both sides of the ball will play better than they did the last time. This defense is going to keep Mike White in check, which kind of goes to what you were saying. Right. You know, that Mike's not gonna, Mike White's not going to be able to keep up. Both teams, I, both teams are in a better place now than they were the first meeting. Uh, the Bills' defense certainly is, except with the exception of Vaughn. Uh, and I think the offense – is further down the road toward becoming what it has been in years past now with Ken Dorsey instead of Brian Dable. So uh, it's it's interesting to kind of transpose where we think these teams are now as to where they were uh, when this these they met earlier in the season. Hmm. And I, you know, it's uh, – I mean, it was all the way back in – where was it? It was uh, week nine. So it's been a month since uh, – five weeks, six weeks now since they played – um, things have changed dramatically, not yeah. just at the quarterback position for the Jets. As they typically do in every NFL season. Joe on the tweet sheet says, 27 points, including several long drives that eat up clock. And the Bills showed a propensity to do that against the Patriots last Thursday. So eating up clock with a run game that is suddenly discovering reliable production. You know, they run for 160-plus against the Browns and the Lions in each of those two games. They don't run for quite as much against the Patriots, but the run game was effective enough uh, for for a balanced attack and some clock-eating drives. That 15-play, 94-yard drive took almost nine minutes off the clock last week. You do that against the Jets, I mean, I don't care who Mike White is. Yeah, that's a crusher, particularly yeah. if you do it in the second half now. Plus, you gas that defense out in the process. Leger Dusable made a great point. The Jets are a really good fourth-quarter team. They they score in the fourth quarter, and their defense rises up in the fourth quarter. Their point differential is as good as anybody's in the league, better than everybody's in the league. That's an issue um, for the Bills. You, you hate seeing that, and which makes you think, you know, you're going to need a padded lead at the end of this game or the Jets are going to – and I, I said this too. The Jets seem to me like to be in a spot now, particularly in this game against the Bills, they're a little dead. they got to win this game. Yeah, It's huge for the Jets to win this game. So I think this is a coaching staff that's going to roll it out there and take some chances where they otherwise might not have in weeks past. And I think the Jets may be good enough to pull off a, a few of those things. 
Mm. So I think I, I think it's a da- they're a dangerous team for that reason. Yeah, they have outscored their opponents ninety four to forty in the fourth quarter, but that's also due in part to the fact that they've been outscored in the other three quarters this season, not by a lot, but right. they've been outscored by nine in the first quarter, by six in the second quarter, and by ten in the third quarter. So relatively even through the first three quarters, and then. Something happens. They kick it into gear in the fourth quarter yeah, when desperate seven. times call for desperate measures. Well, yeah, and the, seven the Jets are winning team, winning team, seven and five. They're having a good season. Um, that's that's a sign of a team that maybe has got a little more under the hood than we give them credit for, being able to do that and put their foot on the gas in the fourth quarter when when it's a tight game. I, I got to give them credit. Yeah, Butch is resolutely confident it's going to be a blowout. He says thirty-eight-seven Bills. Be nice if it happens. I'm not convinced it will, but we'll see. James on the tweet sheet says 24 points. Buffalo has a much better overall defense than the Vikings, the Jets' opponent last week. If Buffalo gets a solid lead, they won't give it back. I could, I could, I could buy that comment yeah. from James. Yeah, this is Bills aren't in the business of giving up leads very often. No, they're the Bills, and you can say what you want, but you know, a late. Hey. A late touchdown against the Green Bay makes yeah. it a 10-point game. They had a couple of hiccups of during the yeah. season, but um, for the most part, no, not giving up leads. Right. But earlier in the season, yeah, they had a couple of issues with that in back-to-back weeks, actually. Jack on the tweet sheet says, as many points as possible. I don't want them to let up at all. The last game against the Jets, we blew a two-score lead, and that was with Wilson. So I hope we get out there and put tons of pressure on their defense if we can get to 28, 31 points, we're in good shape. But don't hold back, Josh. Right. Yeah, it was 14 to 3. And it was first half lead, and they gave it up and lost the football game. Yeah. Due in part to turnovers, one in the red zone, the other on their inside their own 20-yard line, which led to points uh, for the Jets on the other side of the ledger. Vince on the tweet sheet says, if we don't turn it over, 24 to 31 points is enough. White's playing well, so get him to turn it over and give our offense another possession. That's a win-win. Yeah, it is. Uh, And they had no problem turning Mike White over last year. He had four picks, no touchdowns against the Bills in a 45-17 lopsided loss. Yeah. Uh, And certainly if they start turning, if they start getting Mike White to turn it over like they did a year ago, game's over anyway. I mean, they're not. The Jets aren't good enough offensively to turn it over multiple times and still stay in the football game. Yeah. So yeah. Jay Lish on the tweet sheet says, "As many points as they can score to demoralize the Jets and scare the heck out of the Dolphins." I don't know if you're scaring anybody these days in our division. Forget about the Dolphins. If you can start playing on an uptick all the time, like they were able to at the end of last season. And I don't want to say it's too early to do that. You've got five games left. That's a long stretch. You've already won three straight on the road, yeah. all three of them on the road, which has been a great stretch for the Bills. But you're in the midst of a three-game stretch that's going to define your season in the division title. Um, I don't have a problem starting to hit your stride at this time of year. might even be a little early. But, man, oh, man, it's never a bad time to if, you've, if you're feeling it to flex. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that offensively against this Jet defense. It's really good. Yeah, it is. It's really good. Daniel on the tweet sheet says, never knowing what the D will do week to week. One week good, one week not so much. I think the Bills need to be in the high 30s. I hope the offense is up to it. Go Bills. 
I don't know. If, I mean, the defense, yeah, you gave up 25 to Detroit. And you gave up 23 to Cleveland, but there were some garbage points at the end against the Browns, you know, two touchdown drives late. And you give up 10 to the Patriots last week. Uh, I have a feeling the, the defense is rounding into form here, um, even with Von Miller on IR. I don't know why I feel that way. I just do. Uh, I kind of see them locking it down here for the last five weeks of the season. Miami might be challenging, but and Cincinnati might be tough, you know, where they're not holding them under 20. Right. But the rest of these opponents, I think they're going to hold them under 20 points in each of those games. We'll see. Uh, the, Jet, the Jets, um, no doubt, the Jets have struggled to score points. I mean, they got 17, 10, or no, I'm sorry, they got uh, 20, they scored three, then they scored 31 against the Bears, and then 22 last weekend. Um, when it's there, they're going to take advantage of it. You got to, you can't like last week, a missed, a bad angle and a missed tackle, and you're down seven to nothing or seven to three to the Patriots. Yeah, because you had a missed tackle and a bad angle. That kind of stuff haunts you. Doesn't take much. Don't do that to the Jets. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Jets lose. are yeah. talking about starting fast. The Bills got to do that too. Make them think that week nine was an aberration and that I, they don't belong on the field. I get it. You can, it goes a long way. You're able to lump a team up, particularly one with a good defense, and you, you do it on both sides of the ball. Your offense scores a ton of points, and your defense just stifles them. That's a huge confidence boost going into the stretch of the season, and it will set you up nicely for the next week. Yeah. But getting off to a fast start is really the first step in doing that. Uh, you get off to a fast start against this team, and they may be looking sideways at each other. So we'll see. That'll do it for the tweet sheet. We're going to move ahead now to a little NFL true-false. We had fun with that yesterday, so why not hit it again here today in Tuesday's edition of One Bills Live. Question number one for NFL true-false, Steve, and I should mention NFL true-false brought to you by Patron Tequila the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. Question number one, Trevor Lawrence is still shaping up to be the franchise quarterback Jacksonville wanted. What do you say to that? Oh, I think so, yeah. I, I, he shows flashes. He, he almost His rookie season was almost a, a wash, a wasted year. Well, he was mismanaged. With the, with the turmoil that went on at other places in the organization, at head coach and all of that. Uh, I think there, he has shown – moments in this season where you think, okay, he's the guy. He can spin it. He can run. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's still a lot of hope and a lot of optimism that Trevor Lawrence is going to be exactly who they thought he was going to be. He's, I mean, he's put together a pretty nice season. Doug Peterson is a good coach to have as your head coach if you're Trevor Lawrence and you're trying to blossom in this league. He's completed over 65% of his passes, 17 touchdowns to three picks. So – He's pretty much a three-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio there. He does offer you escapability in the run game, and his passer rating is 92.8. For a second-year quarterback, those are pretty good numbers. One of the reasons this is a question this week is because they got lumped up by a bad Detroit team, 40-14. to 14. 
I don't think that was a Trevor Lawrence issue. I think that was a Jacksonville defense issue. When you're giving up 40 points and they're scoring on eight of their first eight possessions, that's not on your rookie quarterback. That's on your defense. Yeah. Your rookie quarterback can't even get on the field. So I, I don't think that's an indictment on Trevor Lawrence. I think it's an indictment on the roster yeah. in Jacksonville and the work they still have to do. Yeah, but I'll say true. I think he's shaping up to be the franchise quarterback Jacksonville wanted. I don't know if his ceiling is as high as people thought, but – I think you can win with that kid. So, I will say true. NFL true-false number two, 49ers offense won't drop off with Brock Purdy at quarterback. What do we say to that, Steve? I'm hesitating. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say, yes, it will drop off. Because? The last player picked in the draft is not going to play – as well as Jimmy Garoppolo did before he got hurt. And I'm, I, it's just not going to happen. And you can say what you want about the way Jimmy Garoppolo played, and everybody has a lot of fun and, you know, has their own opinion about how good or bad Garoppolo is. Most people think he's barely good enough, and they, the Niners were trying to get rid of him. Most of that, though, was because of his salary, not because that the guy's a bad guy or a really bad football player. I don't think it's there's any way that and they may have flashes where Purdy can get them and play them well and play well as quarterback. But I don't think overall at the end of this season, you're going to look back and say they were better or as even as good as they were with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're at home against the Bucks on a short week. Um, Bucks defense is still pretty good. Purdy showed me something though against the Dolphins. Not that the Dolphins defense is killing it right now. They have their they have their faults and their flaws. And you have supreme talent around him. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey. They got I mean, even man. Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. I mean, they have playmakers where all Purdy has to do is distribute the football. And Kyle Shanahan is a good enough play caller to make those reads easy and readily apparent for Purdy to pull the trigger. So is he going to beat Tom Brady this week? I don't know, but I think he can make some plays for you because of the playmakers around him. The Niners Um, might beat the Bucks, but Purdy's not going to beat Tom Brady. And Garoppolo is horribly average and he has been for most of his career. So with the playmakers that Purdy's got around him, is he going to be that much worse than Garoppolo? Maybe not that much worse, but they're not going to be better. I mean, that's what the question was. Offense won't drop off. Drop off? Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to drop a little bit. All right, I'm going to say they'll be able to sustain what they've done with Garoppolo. I will say true. He's not going to drop off a cliff, maybe, but he's. I don't know. I don't even know who. I don't know who. You don't know Brock Brock Purdy Purdy. from a hole in your head, right? I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Yeah, but. I got to say that. How tough could it be in San Francisco, right? Yeah. You got the best play caller, the best offense. I mean, they're one of the best running backs, just one of the best receivers get, after the just catch. Play like keep away. Just get the ball out of your hands. Yeah. Break time for us is that is NFL True False brought to you by Patron Tequila, the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. We'll take a break. Be back with more here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. And what we were speculating about at the top of the show concerning Odell Beckham Jr., who completed his free agent tour, I guess you would say, in Dallas this morning, has a little bit more light shed on it at this point. According to ESPN's Ed Werder, the Cowboys fear that free agent wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. has not progressed enough in his recovery from the torn ACL he suffered in the Rams' Super Bowl and have concerns about his physical. Now, with each visit, presumably he took a physical with each of those teams' respective medical staffs, and it's apparently coming out in Dallas that Beckham may not pass physicals at this point in time. Well, that's interesting because, you know, he's been cleared to play by his medical people, and oh, he I'm put sure it he out has. there. Um, yeah, that's that douses a little water that's on not it. No nothing. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. And you're not going to pry, at this point of the season, you're not going to pry the kind of money he's asking for out of any NFL team if you're not 100% healthy and can't help, like, this weekend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it how it transpires in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, that that doesn't sound very promising. I mean, the general consensus now is, at least coming out of Dallas, is he may not be ready to play until 2023. Right. Now, does right. that mean playoffs 2023? Or does that mean next fall 2023? That is the question going forward. Yep. But it looks like regular season might be out of the equation. Steve and I will see you tomorrow when the Bills are back on the practice field. We'll see you at 1.